0: He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust as for man his days are like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more but the steadfast love of the lord all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us on the Disciples Church Podcast. My name is Dave Hahn, and I am thrilled to get to share this time with you. That incredibly deep-voiced young man you just heard read scripture is my son, Seth. Thanks for reading that for us, buddy. Over the last few weeks, we have been in the book of Psalms, and in it we have found comfort in knowing that even in the most desperate, uncomfortable, and confusing of times, God is good. He does not change, and we can find our rest in him alone. We were reminded on Good Friday that God's plan for salvation was foretold long before it unfolded in front of us in Psalm 22. And that Jesus truly bore the weight of the punishment we deserve for our sin. He was forsaken so that we would be forgiven. He was condemned so that we would be accepted. Then, on Easter, we looked at Psalm 118. A psalm of praise and thanksgiving, declaring that those who trust in God will not die, but live because God had made Jesus the risen one, the cornerstone of his kingdom. And it is in him that we find God's salvation. It is he that we build our lives upon. And today we will continue our look at the Psalms, specifically Psalm 103. So, in preparing this week's message, my mind traveled back to the many ways in which God has blessed me. The people I get to know and love and do life with, the things that I've gotten to do and be part of, and the places that I've been. And one of the thoughts that came to mind was just over a year ago when I had spent a four-day weekend in Denver, Colorado with some longtime friends. We had this incredible long stretch of time together I got to lead worship with them, enjoy tasty beverages with them, you know, like soda and water and an array of juices. And I went fly fishing for the first time. 9,000 feet above sea level with no cell service and stunning views from Colorado rivers. I felt like I was in a Bob Ross painting. And just before heading home that Sunday, I got to go and see my beloved Milwaukee Brewers clinch the division title and move on to the championship series. I mean, I don't even know how there were tickets still available on StubHub that day, apart from God's goodness. And finally, the weekend ended with me getting on a plane with only six minutes to spare before the plane took off. So after catching my breath from a panicked run through the airport, my heart was filled with gratitude, joy, and amazement as I contemplated who God is, what he did, and what he let me be part of that weekend. I didn't realize it at the time, but at that moment, my soul was blessing the Lord. Psalm 103 is a psalm of pure praise. And I describe it that way because, as far as we can tell, no occasion or historical event inspired its words. And that's somewhat unusual. I mean, when is praise not precipitated by something awesome happening? If we're going to give praise, it's likely going to happen when we feel like things are going good. But it doesn't come as easily. In difficulty trials and disappointment does it it may come when we're standing on top of a mountain but it's harder in the valley and do you know why that is it is because we tend to fix our eyes upon our circumstances rather than God who rules over them and so We need to reorient our hearts and souls if we are to bless God, regardless of our circumstances, just like the writer of Psalm 103 did. Now, countless songs and hymns have been written through the inspiration of this psalm. As I looked it up, there were a bunch that I didn't know, which doesn't actually mean much, but there were a lot that I did, including songs we often sing at Disciples Church, songs like Praise to the Lord the Almighty, and it is well with my soul, an incredibly beloved Him. And a relatively newer one inspired by Psalm 103 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Now, as one commentator points out, there are no requests in Psalm 103. There are no complaints, there are no petitions, and there's no sadness or disappointment. Though there are certainly times for such things in the life of a believer. But this psalm is one of joyous, thankful praise from one who is focusing on the gift of God's eternal salvation. And there are three audiences that he writes to. In verses 1 through 5, the author calls for praise from his own soul. In verses 6 through 18, he calls for praise from all those who know. God's salvation. And in verses 19 through 22, he calls for praise from everything in heaven and on earth, all of creation. Within 22 verses, the author of Psalm 103 uses the phrase, bless the Lord, six times. Have you ever considered that we can bless God? Have you ever thought that we ought to bless God? If I'm honest, for a long time, I thought it was God alone who blessed. When someone would sneeze and I would say, God bless you, I had to say, God bless you, not bless you as though I had the power. And of course, I misunderstood a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, is that our prayers are filled with petitions for God to bless us and others. But according to Psalm 103, it's both, meaning God blesses us certainly, but we can also bless God. Still, the phrase bless the Lord is an unusual one in our vernacular. We don't really talk that way, but we see it in several of the Psalms, so we should try and understand it. So let's first look at what it does not mean. To bless the Lord does not mean we are helping God. God is not looking for people to help him accomplish the things that he has set out to do. And if he were, he's made a habit of choosing the people that no one else would pick, including you and me. You see, God has children, he doesn't have employees or teammates, or volunteers. Having a son of my own really drove this idea home for me. It really impacted my understanding of how God loves us, relates to us as his children, and how we are to relate to him. When Seth was a toddler, he was curious about the things he'd see me doing, like most kids, whether it was at work or at home. And sometimes he'd want to help. Now, there are certain things that a young kid can help out with, but there's a lot they can't. No fault of their own. And so I would try to find ways for him to contribute without killing him or making that particular problem worse. Hand me that. Take this over there. Put that down. Things like that. And he loved getting the help. Fortunately, I was wise enough to realize the value of those moments. And it wasn't that he was contributing in meaningful ways to the work that I was doing. He really wasn't. Rather, the greater good was found in our being together as father and son, in loving one another, enjoying each other's company. And getting to teach him something new. So new moms and dads, young moms and dads, don't miss out on the blessing of your kids wanting to be with you or be of help. Take advantage of that time and let them make things more difficult than they need to be. Because in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, it is not the tasks that matter most, but the love relationships that are formed within them. So, to bless the Lord does not mean we are helping God. It does not mean we are strengthening God. And it does not mean we are making things better for God. Because, my friends, God does not need us. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all sufficient. And he didn't make man to add to who he is. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25. It reads, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So while it is true that God does not need us, he does want us. You and I were not made by an aloof absentee creator. We were made by a loving Heavenly Father who is intensely interested and involved in our lives. Not because he himself has need to, but because in love he chooses to. And God so wants us, loves us, and delights in us that he sent his son to rescue us from the very things that kept us from him. Listen to the words of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, an incredible verse. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you By his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. That is incredible news for you and I. God delights in us, rejoices, and sings over us, but he does not depend on us. Rather, it is we who utterly depend upon and need to abide in him the one we get to bless. So then, what does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, when the Bible talks about God blessing us, it often uses the word makarios, which means happy or to be envied. This is the word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, like, blessed is he who is persecuted, and so on. Makarios is when we receive God's favor And are fully satisfied in him regardless of circumstances. Makarios is how God blesses. But that's not the word David uses in Psalm 103. The word for bless as used in Psalm 103 is barak. A word that means to kneel. A posture of worship. And that is how we bless God. See, when God blesses, we are undeserved recipients of his favor. When we bless God, it is in response to having been blessed. So we kneel and we worship. To bless God is to worship and praise God. Verse 1 of Psalm 103 says we are to bless him with all that we are our soul, and all that is within us, it says. This, my friends, is the psalmist preaching to himself because he knew that there was a spiritual war going on within him. You see, when sin entered the world, everything broke and mankind found himself in the middle of a spiritual war. A war between the kingdom of light God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness of eternal life and eternal punishment. And the prize is the soul and affections of man. See, our right relationship with God has been severed. And our hearts are so twisted that we often neglect and forget to bless and worship him. Instead, we turn our praise inward or onto that which he has created, forgetting the fount of every blessing, as the song says, in whose image we were made. Friends, the worship of God is born of the Spirit of God, demanding all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it finds its strength in the truth of what God has done and who he has revealed himself to be. See, the more that God has shown himself to us, the stronger our desire to bless him and worship him will be, independent of music or mood or day of the week. And Psalm 103 gives us 17 reasons we can and should bless God. And these benefits, as the psalmist writes in verse 2, are true of God and true for those who fear him and keep his commands. These are true for believers. Verse 3 says he forgives all our iniquities and does not repay us according to them. He heals all our diseases and redeems our lives from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy from everlasting to everlasting, no beginning, no end. He satisfies us with good and works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He made his ways and acts known to Moses and all of Israel, and to you and I, by the way, he is slow to anger, and when he is angry, it doesn't last forever. He is compassionate, merciful, and gracious. He does not always chide. He does not deal with us according to our sins, though we certainly still struggle with them. Rather, he removes our sins from us as far as the East is from the West. So think of it this way. Imagine that you and your sins are standing back to back. And God tells you to walk one way. And he tells your sins to walk the other. How long would it take for the two of you to meet up again? I'll answer it for you. It would never happen. You have two infinite lines going in opposite directions, as separate as they could be. And so it is when God looks upon you and me in Christ. We are no longer associated with our sin. And we have been supernaturally clothed in Christ and his sinlessness. That's what the third verse of It Is Well With My Soul, that famous hymn, is all about. It says, My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And what's the response? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Then finally, in verse 19 of Psalm 103, we have the last benefit listed. It is that God has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. This is who God is. This is what God has done. And for we who love him and have been saved by him, His benefits are ours to claim, to deeply consider, and never forget. So, which of these characteristics of God do you need to believe are true, or re-remember so that your soul may bless the Lord? Have you been marginalized, oppressed, betrayed, or treated unfairly? God says, I am working out my righteousness and justice for your sake and my glory. See, no unrighteousness or unjust act is forgotten or ignored by God. In time, he will make all things new and set all things right. Are you living with sickness in body, mind, or spirit? Maybe something new. Maybe a lifelong struggle. And to you, God declares, I will heal all your diseases and renew your youth. Maybe in this life, but most certainly in that very first moment, we see him face to face. Because in that place, there is no disease. There is only life, vitality, and youth. Certainly, Sheila and I have a greater appreciation for that promise as of late. Maybe you're wondering where God is and whether or not he has forgotten you. Listen to God speak over you these words. I know you. I remember you and love you with a love that is everlasting. You are mine. Are you struggling to believe that God loves you and that he isn't? Angry with you? Are there sins you don't believe God can forgive you for? Or sins you just can't forgive yourself for? Is there shame and guilt associated with those sins? Because all the while, God is saying, I'm not angry with you, but I am merciful, gracious, and compassionate, and have forgiven all your sins. I do not repay you or deal with you according to them. Do you know, my friends, that all your sins, all my sins, were future sins when Christ died? And that he knew what he was getting when he purchased you and I with his blood? Do you know that the death that he died was once for all? And there is no more anger, wrath, or condemnation for you only his steadfast and everlasting love. Or maybe you're worried, afraid, or overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world we live in. But in all of that, God says, I've established my throne and my kingdom rules over all. Do you know that nothing surprises or worries God? And nothing happens? without him allowing it, including pandemics and all that come with them. Listen to the words of one author. Not a blow will be permitted to fall upon your shrinking soul, but that the love of God permits it and works out from its depths, blessing and spiritual enrichment unseen and unthought of by you. This, my friends, is our God, and he is for us. Psalm 34, a psalm of David, is similar in heart and tone to Psalm 103. And verse 1 of that psalm says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So while our souls recognize and rejoice in who God is and what he's done, our mouths must declare it. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment, that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. I can assure you that no brewer fan was sitting quietly on their hands that day in Colorado, me included. No, we clap and we cheer and we scream and shout when something is worthy of praise. Because we are built to praise, we are designed to worship, and we are meant to bless. And verse 17 of this psalm says that we bless God by fearing him. An idea that speaks of awe, reverence, respect, and honor, not terror. Verses 18, 20, and 21 say that we bless God by keeping his covenant and doing what he commands by being obedient to his inerrant word and the prompting of his Holy Spirit. And verse 2 of this psalm says that we bless God by remembering all his benefits. And we remember his benefits by saturating ourselves in God's word, where we discover the ways of God and his true character. We remember by surrounding ourselves with people and things that stir up our hearts for Jesus, signposts of God's love and grace. And we remember through considering how good and faithful God has been to us, both yesterday and today, so that we are less likely to forget tomorrow. Ask yourself, when has God not given me what I needed And more. Friends, every celebration and tradition in the Old Testament was established and observed so that the Israelites would not forget him and perish. Read Deuteronomy chapter 8 this week for more on that very idea. It's fascinating. And in the same way, every letter written in the New Testament was written to those who had already believed the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? And yet, Paul, Peter, John, and others wrote letters to churches to remind them of the gospel to which they had been saved. The gospel that reminds us that God sent his beautiful son to become a man of dust and step out of the grave for you and me, conquering our greatest fears and our strongest enemies. The great Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards said it this way, it is nominal Christians that find Christ useful in getting the things the heart truly finds excellent and beautiful, but true Christians find Christ excellent and beautiful in and of himself. Friends, it is in beholding Christ and blessing Christ, that we become like Him and bring glory to Him. And so my prayer for all of us today is that our eyes would be fixed on Him, that our hearts would be tuned to Him, that our minds would dwell deeply upon Him, so that our soul and all that is within us would bless Him. Let's pray. Our God, Father, Lord, and King, you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone deserve our soul's blessing. Let us not forget your benefits for you have forgotten our sins. Stir within us a response to your gospel. Help us to sense your presence to see your work and be encouraged by it. Give us eyes which see the lost as you see them. Give us hearts that feel compassion for our enemies, remembering that we too were once your enemies. And yet you gave your son unto death for us. You adopted us as sons and daughters. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. We forgive others because you first forgave us. Let the meditations of our minds, the words of our mouths, and the deeds done in our bodies bring you glory. Everything is by you and for you. And so we bless you, in Christ's name, amen. God's blessings to you this week as you seek to love and bless him and others.